everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat segment. Little change up for you tonight. I got a, I got a guest tonight. It's like a, a guest guest. It's Ramin Fergani. He's a senior journalism student at the Grady School of Journalism at the University of Georgia, a biology major, covered some baseball this weekend. And like everybody else, Ramin knows all about Georgia football. Ramin, thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, Mike. Excited to get started. Yeah, this will be good stuff. Well, you know, everybody's talking about the scrimmage and Kirby kept it pretty real. It's a mixed bag with Kirby. And I think that's the way it should be at this time of year. I don't think if he's saying, man, the offense is killing it, then we'd have questions about the defense. He says the defense is dominant. Then we got questions about the offense. But I got a good vibe from Kirby Smart. I think he feels pretty good about this football team. There are some some concerns for me, and I know you follow this closely. Right now, what would your number one concern with this Georgia football team be? I think the number one concern has to be, and it's been said a lot, um, is the wide receiver room. You have George Pickens, who was out with an ACL, and you may have others kind of injuring themselves. Um, it's early in the spring, so a lot of time for everybody else to get back. But you really look around, and you, who's going to be that next guy who can step up, take that number one wide receiver role, and uh, be a favorite target of JT Daniels? Who do you think that's going to be? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great question, and, and I think they, they're trying to answer that. I mean, we all thought it would be Jermaine Burton, but then Jermaine suffered a hyperextended knee last Tuesday, and I don't think anybody thought it was going to be Arian Smith because as fast as Arian Smith is, he's also running track, and I don't know that he really has a full grasp of the offense and the route. He's a speedster. I don't look at him as a 50-catch guy. I think he's more like a 25 or a 30-catch guy. When he catches it, it's going to be deep, and he's going to hurt some teams on the deep ball. I don't look at him as a go-to guy. But still, when he got up holding his wrist at that scrimmage, I mean, there were a lot of people holding their breath waiting to hear Kirby Smart updates. So we talk about that. We dial it back. We say, okay, Pickens is out indefinitely. I think it's 50-50 if he even plays again for Georgia. I know he's targeting November. That just doesn't – I just don't know. That seems like that would be a, a, a smaller chance than a greater chance. you know. And then we talked about Jermaine Burton with the hyperextended knee and Arian Smith with the sprained wrist. Dominic Blaylock still not back yet from the knee he suffered last fall. And Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint with the broken ankle against Florida, he's not out there either. Those guys are kind of on the side running around. So – you're right. There's a lot of questions there. One guy that stepped up a bit was Justin Robinson. He's a second-year guy. He goes about 6'4", 220, made some really good plays downfield in the scrimmage, but also dropped a couple balls. Uh, you know, D-Rob, Demetrius Robertson, a guy, Ramin, that a lot of people, you know, waiting to see if he can ever live up to that five-star rating that he had coming out of Savannah Christian. He's fast. He's elusive. But I'm going to tell you, I'm Kiaris Jackson. You're going to get what you're going to get. He's a hard worker. He's in JT's back pocket. I know he's going to catch everything underneath. But I, I got kind of the X factor for me is the tight end position. Because these targets aren't just going to all go into the receiving court. There's something going to James Cook and Kenny McIntyre. But the tight end position, Ramin, has me curious. What about you? Who are some of the tight ends that excite you? And do you think – that Georgia will make better use of their tight ends now with JT Daniels? Well, I think they're going to have to. I mean, we saw Trey McKitty. He um, went off to the draft recently. or He was at Georgia's pro day, and he's looking to get drafted this year. And that's a position that 
the uh, dogs hope to fill, you know, Darnell Washington, a lot of big expectations placed on him, big physical. We saw him play more at the end of 2020 as he kind of got integrated into that offense. So I think he is a, a, you know, highly touted out of high school, big guy who can both run block and catch. So we're going to see him, I think, in a lot of formations, both run blocking and then see if he can slip some out on the play action. Um, you know, and I think that's one thing you mentioned, Cook and McIntosh. Um, Todd Monken now, he's settling into this offense. Let's see if we can reestablish the run um, at times. I feel like we struggled with that a bit last year. So if you can reestablish the run, get a big play action going, those tight ends are going to be real big, slipping out, run blocking one play, slipping out into pass uh, receiving role the next. No, no doubt. I think you bring up a good point. The more effective the run game is, the more effective those tight ends can be because everyone comes up, maybe doesn't respect them as much as a receiver. And, you know, the struggles, I, everybody points back, including myself at times, to the Florida game uh, down there in Florida, in Jacksonville, close to Gainesville. And, and they recall how Florida put up all those points in the first half, 38 points. And I say, you know what? It wasn't all the defense. They said, what are you talking about, Mike? The defense was on the field for all those points. Yeah, but, but Florida wasn't supposed to have nine possessions in one half, Ramin. They had nine possessions the entire game the year before. But they had nine possessions in one half last season because Georgia couldn't run the ball. We can talk about Stetson Bennett injuring his shoulder with the dogs up 14-0. to zero. We can talk about Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. Um, but the reality of it is the reason I believe the number one reason Georgia lost to Florida last year was they couldn't run the ball against a suspect Florida defense. Zamir White could not get it going. That offensive line could not get it going. The value of getting it going is that Florida doesn't get nine possessions. They get four or five. But you give Kyle Trask or really any other quarterback nine possessions in one half they get a chance to get into rhythm. So I'm dialing it all the way back to what you said about the run game. As much as we talked about the pass game and Todd Munkin and JT Daniels, yes, those air raid principles are wonderful. Somebody will always be open, provided you stay on schedule and don't get behind the chains. And that requires an effective run game. You know, we talked with Todd Munkin last year and we said, hey, coach, explosive plays. Oh, he's all about it. He wants 10 or 12 a game. That's like his A plus grade, right? But the key to an explosive play, he said, not just getting the players out in space, but putting the defense in run pass conflict. And what does that mean? That means four or five yards on first down. So it's second and five and the D coordinator goes, are they going to run it? Or are they going to pass it? That means third and three where the D coordinator says, man, we really can't afford to blitz because if they run it up the middle, we could be gutted got to stay on schedule, got to run the ball effectively. Kirby Smart talked about that, talked about how you've got to run the ball well enough that defenses commit more guys into that proverbial box, that space right around the line of scrimmage. You want those safeties up. If you're able to run it effectively and make those defenses play like that, we saw LSU do that with Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Alaire a couple of years ago. It was all about the run pass conflict. What are the Tigers going to do? And that's what George is trying to get done. And if they can do that, well, then all of a sudden, as you said, those tight ends become greater weapons. I look at a guy, and he's still getting praises from Kirby. I'm just going to tell you, I mean, Kirby Smart doesn't like to talk about freshmen. He just doesn't do it. It's just he doesn't want these guys to get ahead of themselves. He doesn't let them talk to the media. He doesn't just – 
praise him just to praise him. But he just keeps talking about Brock Bowers, this kid from California, Centel, Jeff Centel, who does the Wednesday night show, calls him the unicorn. This kid drawing comparisons to George Kittle already. Are you kidding me? I mean, you mentioned Big Darnell at 6'7", 270. Well, Browers is that guy that gets downfield, blocks just well enough. He's got to get better. And then another X factor I'm hearing about is John Fitzpatrick. I always joke before he's done as many interviews as he has catches. But this guy might actually blossom. He's 6'7", 250, big target, catching everything. Most importantly, though, Ramin, is that he's running all the right routes and he knows the offense. And I guess that's where I would come back to you and say, we talk about the run game. We talk about the tight ends. Do we really believe that in year two, Todd Munkin's offense, that these kids can be coached up well enough to play? They've all, they didn't have spring last year. They only have one spring this year. Do you believe that's going to be enough time for Munkin and, and the receivers and JT to all get on the same page this season? I mean, I think it's been done. You look at, we mentioned what LSU did a couple years ago. Now those guys were probably building, but Joe Burrow came in one year as a grad transfer and he clicked all on the same page with those receivers. I think you look at kind of Kyle Trask's explosion with Florida that we talked about last year and a good note with what Kyle Pitts, it was a strong track to Pitts connection as we all saw and what, you know, what that good connection can do. So I think it can happen in a year. Now JT Daniels is in year two, albeit year one was shortened and injury at the beginning. He didn't have a full camp and whatnot. But these receivers have been here for a while. I think Monkin settling in, and I think there's an understanding of what needs to be done. It can certainly happen in a year. Now we have two, a full camp. I see no reason why it can't be done. And I think with the weapons you have recruited, um, the wide receivers, there's – I think there's a competition there, right? We, we know there's a competition. Someone needs to step up. I think there's hunger at that position. And I think um, in our running back room, obviously we need to run the ball, but if you can use those running backs in a creative manner, screens or versus catching passes out of the backfield, using that speed, you know, getting outside of the tackles and finding a way to get those dynamic playmakers, Cook and McIntosh and Milton, the ball, not from single back, not with JT handing it off to them that's where you can really open up the playbook. And I don't see why it can't happen. Monkin, we know he can design plays. He's, you know, brought in here to be a prolific offensive mastermind to be able to throw the ball. And I think it has to happen now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you touched all the bases there. I mean, I like the way you think. Certainly we talked about run pass conflict. You mentioned getting those players in space. And that's very good and very keen analysis on Joe Burrow and what he was able to do. You could go Mac Jones with him taking over late in the season. You know, JT had just enough season last year, four games to carry into that off season where it's not brand new. He is familiar. Munkin knows what he has in JT. I really liked what Kirby said when he said, you know, it's not a matter of what JT or Todd Munkin can do. It's how quickly can these skill position guys learn their routes and learn the plays. And that's how big the playbook will get is once those receivers and running backs show you that they can make those adjustments on the field. Cause that's what JT gives you. You know, it's kind of amazing. I'm going to do a, a little sidebar here. I posted a story earlier today on dog nation. There's still a lot of questions about Justin Fields. It's amazing. Justin Fields is the topic that seemingly won't go away. Certainly he started his career at Georgia had a very much publicized time with the Bulldogs before he left rather than stay and compete with Jake Fromm. And that's not to say that he wouldn't have beat out Jake Fromm. Maybe he would have, but he chose to go somewhere else. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. 
It's what Joe Burrow did at the Ohio State. It's what Jalen Hurts did going from Alabama to Oklahoma. You know, it's it's what's it's what uh, Baker Mayfield did when he went to Oklahoma. It's what JT Daniels did when he left Southern Cal. He could have won that job back, but he said, you know what? This is going to get sticky because now this offensive coordinator is comfortable with the quarterback. And that's kind of where Georgia was with Jake. Jake had led him to a national. Oh, he didn't lead him. Yes, he did. The quarterback has a very important job driving the bus. And yeah, Sony and Nick carried, but when Jake needed to throw, Jake threw. Jake had pretty good numbers. You go back and look, they weren't horrible. And then in 2018, the year Fields was there, Jake was top five in the nation in pass efficiency all year, and they were 7-0. and When were you going to pull them? People say, well, LSU, oh, yeah. Put a freshman out there at Tiger Stadium when you're behind a team that can pin the ears back and blitz. That's not real smart. That's how you ruin quarterbacks. And then Jake lit it up against Florida, and it was his job. So there really wasn't that opening for Justin, I didn't feel like, in 18. There would have been in 19. He goes to Ohio State. He has success back-to-back college football playoff appearances. But apparently Dan Orlovsky on ESPN said, well, he's heard Justin's, you know, the work ethic and this and that. Well, that just incensed Kirk Herbstreet, um, you know, a guy that I've got a ton of respect for, but also a guy that went to Ohio State and said, how dare you? Well, Dan's just reporting what he heard. And Kirk's like, well, you better say the whole story because the Ohio State people love him. So all you got this messages, mixed messaging out there. You got Todd McShay today putting him in tier three. Ramin in tier three. We know what, we, it, we don't really know what it is, but we know it's not tier one or tier two. So he's in tier three, though. And, and McShay's got him as the number five quarterback. He'll go all the way down to 11th. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the yacht will only be 25 feet instead of 35. But, but I think there is something to be said, you know, for people selling uh, fields short at the same time. You know, you can't make other people like them. You, you know, it's kind of like, you know, certain like Ben Cleveland. All right. On a much lesser scale and lower in the draft teams that run stretch plays that want the athletic lineman that can move horizontal are not going to fall in love with six foot five, 354 pound big Ben Cleveland. But the teams that want to come off the ball and punch you in the mouth and get downhill. Now, Ben's their kind of guy. So different quarterbacks, different linemen, different strokes, different folks. I kind of sit back and go, ah, let's just have the draft already. What are some of your thoughts on the upcoming draft and some of the Georgia players uh, that we can look for to be picked in this upcoming NFL draft? It's yeah. Following up on that, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. Let's just get to the draft. I think teams have an idea of the talent around them. And sometimes you have to pick a quarterback that's going to fit into the situation you have. Now, obviously if you're picking one or two or top five, you're using a quarterback with an early first round draft, you're looking to build around that quarterback. But I mean, look, I don't think any of these top three guys, Lawrence and field, are going to fall, you know, anywhere past the first round where, I mean, they're all going to be picked up there. And at that point, it's really just a matter of who can build around that quarterback most effectively. I think it's going to take three or four years until we figure out really whether these quarterbacks are booms or busts. I mean, you know, Tua had some starts in Miami, got pulled back. I mean, he was unquestionably a good quarterback coming out of Alabama when he graduated. Now he's at Miami. I don't think we still know the caliber of quarterback he is. I mean, he's still battling for his starting job. And, you know, he's, he needs some more playing time until we figure out if he's an NFL quarterback or not. And it, it's just hard sometimes. I mean, you see what they do in college, but the NFL game is so different than college that it's really, really tough to see how that directly translates. I mean, obviously, 
they did what they've done in college and that's what's earned them a top three top five overall ranking but until you get to that league and you know you're, you're playing against the best of the best it's a you know all-star game every every Sunday in the NFL um, I think it's tough and really it's speculative to say you know Fields is uh, I personally I think you know you look at his film and there's something to be said about success, right? Obviously he had a great team around him, but he led Ohio state to CFP playoffs. And that's, you know, you have to know how to win. You have to know how to make the throws and we'll see if he can replicate the success in the NFL. Um, that's, you know, that's what I think about that. But in, in the draft, one thing I wanted to get your opinion on is uh, Richard LeCount, his pro day coming back from injury, you know, how our team is going to be able to evaluate him not seeing game film on him post injury. That's a great question. I mean, you know what? It's so good. I'm going to save it for the second half of the show. You've, you've got the people hanging. You totally put the fastball down the middle. Ramin with the great school of journalism, million dollar question. Listen, folks, I'll tell you what. Uh, I want to take a moment real quick with Ramin before we come back to, to thank our sponsor, Ingles. You know, things are starting to pick up for our society. Certainly, I feel some momentum you know, I, I don't want to get too political. You know, I've got the vaccination. I feel good about it. More people are getting it. And I think our system, but you know, I look back at this last year and I know that we all reflect and we all know somebody that's had their lives affected, if not ourselves. And I give thanks to the people that were like there for me. And certainly my family members were there for me, but you know what? Ingalls was there for me too. I don't take things for granted anymore. I've seen too many stores closed down, too many stores out of product, un unable to provide me with the supplies that I need. That, but Ingalls was always there. They were on the front line serving us in our communities. So let's take a moment, let's watch this commercial and let's give thanks for our sponsor, Ingalls. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Well, everybody, Mike Griffith, we're back. I'm back with, <laughs> with Ramin. We're talking football. We're going to get to baseball in just a second. Ramin asked me about Richard LeCount. You know, I saw today he's up in the top nine. Richard LeCount, the draft stock, appears to be rebounding. People are like, hey, wait a minute. Let's put the film on this guy again. We know he wasn't quite 100% on pro day, but when he does get back, Richard LeCount was playing like a first rounder. I think, Ramin, somebody's going to get a steal on Richard LeCount late in the second round or midway through the third round, they're going to pluck him. He's going to he's going to heal, and he's going to turn out to be an NFL All Pro. So I see a pretty rosy future for Richard LeCount. Now, most of the talk lately has been about Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, a couple of guys that run really fast. I keep seeing Campbell rated over Stokes. He's a little bit taller. He's not any longer, and Stokes is a little bit faster. You know, I'm going to go against the grain here. Not afraid to do that. I like Stokes a little bit better. I think he's a little bit stickier. Campbell may have more ceiling, but boy, I've seen Eric Stokes work really hard. So I'm going to go with Stokes over Campbell. Those are two of five guys that are going to be drafted out of the secondary. How about that? Stokes, Campbell, LeCount, Mark Webb, DJ Daniel. Boy, they got some reloading to do. What are your thoughts on the guys from the Georgia secondary that will be picked in the NFL draft? You know, I – 
I think one of the things you have to think about, and you're saying five guys out of the Georgia secondary, that's a lot. That's the whole secondary. And I think maybe the next question is going to be, where does Georgia go from now in terms of reloading? But I think one thing you have to look at when evaluating these guys is you're playing against SEC caliber opponents every week. And so you may look at the Florida game we talked about, you know, giving up 38 in the first half and what Alabama did and so on and so on. But you're playing against the best of the best there. And you're going to get beat at times. You know, there were blown coverages at times. I think some, I didn't want to say more times than not, but sometimes, you know, there are blown coverages and it's not necessarily a single man missing their assignment, but just there's a defensive breakdown in the secondary last season that led to some easy touchdowns, some open receivers. I think those guys are going to continue to progress, get coached up at the next level. And, you know, we're going to see how they do. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they all fall in the draft, you know, Stokes versus Campbell versus LeCount. What is the need for a straight up defensive back versus a safety um, are all of them going to stay at corner in the NFL or will they be moved around? I think it's another question, but uh, on that note, you know, Georgia trying to reload, going to the transfer portal, they pick up Tyke Smith, Mike, what do you think about that pickup and where that leaves the Georgia secondary? You know, I think Tyke's a guy that's going to come in and play the star, the high safety position. At least that's what he said. I read at rivals.com. They actually got a hold of him. Got to give them credit for doing a great job getting a hold of Tyke. Uh, but that's what I think. I, I don't think he's that solve all corner that, that Georgia needs, right? I think there's still some questions there at cornerback. Uh, I like what I'm hearing about Jalen Kimber. Keely Ringo working to get back, but people got to remember he didn't play football last fall and that torn labrum. I mean, we act like it's just a video game and you punch a couple buttons and then they just come up 100%. Folks, when you have surgery, right? When, 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 you, when you have a torn labrum, that's a very serious injury and it takes time for your body to heal properly, you're not the same person right out of the gate, Ramin. You can't expect Keely Ringo to go out there and look like that number one corner five-star any more than anybody can respect, expect Zamir White to ever be the guy he was before two knee surgeries. Now, sometimes it works out that way. Nick Chubb is a modern-day miracle, but you just can't assume that everybody that gets cut on and has surgery is going to come back 100% as good as science is. And I know you're a biology major, so you have respect for that. But let's be realistic here. Let's give Keely Ringo a little time to get better. I just don't know that you can count him. If he comes back, great. But that's a bonus. So Amir Speed, he's been there four years, and Kirby said he was really good on the kickoff return team. I mean, that's kind of like somebody having a good personality. You know, it's, it's a good thing, but, you know, you know, yeah, well, he just got beat for a touchdown. Yeah, but he's good on the kick. You know, I'm just saying. Now, maybe speed, after all this time, maybe he'll cash in. But we got we got to wait and see. So, I, But the one thing I think, and, and people may agree or disagree with some of my assessments there, but I think the one thing that we all agree on is we're just not sure. We're just not sure. And so because we're just not sure, Kirby's got to go get another corner. That's what I think we mean. And, and so you mentioned the receivers. And I mentioned the defensive backs. I think we both agree that we think JT Daniels is a great quarterback. I kind of look at the middle linebacker position as kind of my X factor position. Like we're not talking about it enough. I feel good about N'Kobe Dean, but who's going to replace Monty Rice? That's a three-year starter and a team captain. So that's kind of my position we're not talking enough about. I would ask you, Ramin, is there a position on the team that we're not talking enough about? You know, we've talked about DBs and receivers. That's obvious. I threw the Mike linebacker out there. Do you have a spot you're looking at that we're not talking about enough? 
I think it's that defensive line, the front four, the front three, depending how we line up. Um, I think we struggled at times to get pass rush going. It's something I know that's a priority. You, you know, you talk about your secondary and your corners. Um, how do you help them out? You get the quarterback, you get the quarterback off his spot, you get him moving, you get him on the ground, you hit him, you blitz. And if you can get to the quarterback effectively, that's going to rattle a quarterback, you know, especially if you can do it early, it's going to change the play call. You force, you know, from first and 10, you can make it second and 20. That changes the playbook drastically. It's all about that pass rush, getting a more effective pass rush. You know, a guy I want to see step up is Trayvon Walker. He's been progressing nicely. Um, we'll see if that can end in some sacks, getting some quarterbacks back on the ground. Mike, how do you look at this front four for Georgia? I like them a lot. I like them a lot. But to your point, they can't be good enough because it's all about protecting the secondary. The good news is, after you play Clemson, the schedule falls off and you get a little bit, you get a breather, right? Before you're really going to play a really, I think Auburn's probably the next threat. Well, maybe not. Maybe, I don't want to sell Sam Pittman too short. I think Arkansas could be tough, but I, I like him enough that I think regardless of the Clemson game. And again, I, I look at that as a opportunity game. I know Georgia fans want to win it badly and it's a, it's a bragging rights game. And those Clemson fans certainly can be obnoxious at times. So it would be nice not to have to hear them on Twitter. But uh, the reality of it is, that, that, that's just a bonus game. Win or lose, Georgia can win a national title. Um, I, I think we've I think we've pretty much touched all the bases. And speaking of touching the bases, Ramin, you had an opportunity to be out there at Foley Field. I was actually there Sunday too. I was down there watching the game uh, from the dugout club. I had a friend in there and took a look around and said, "Wow, this is pretty nice." I mean, Foley Field is the Wrigley Field of the SEC. It's a it's a beautiful ballpark. Of course, it was a a picture perfect day until the first pitch. Boom, South Carolina up one to nothing. Uh, you know, Georgia out hits the Gamecocks, and yet the Gamecocks win five to one. I look at this Georgia team, and they did win the opener, and that was significant. They beat, you know, a top 10 South Carolina team. They beat them Friday night five to three. This Georgia team, though, they just like work in progress. I mean, where do you start with them? You've seen enough. I mean, your thoughts on Scott Strickland's team, and uh, is this a team that could still make the NCAA tournament? You know, where I think they're struggling to put all the pieces together at once. You know, they pick up Friday's game 5-3. They come back Saturday. Um, the long ball, the balls were very, really carrying over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Um, Saturday starter Ryan Webb, he gave up three home runs in six innings. Jonathan Cannon gave up three home runs in five innings pitched on Sunday. And that, that's really the difference in the Saturday and Sunday games. Um Georgia showing some life, you know, there's something to be said about that. It was a seventh inning comeback to give them the four, three lead courtesy of Riley King's little dribbler on Friday that gave them the win. Eventually on Saturday, you had a huge seventh inning comeback that took it from eight to one to eight to six. You had the bases loaded with two outs with an opportunity to take the lead on Saturday. And then on Sunday, five to one um, in the bottom of the ninth, you loaded the bases and weren't able to get any runs across there. Um, but there's fight. I think there's opportunities, you know, Saturday, especially before the seventh inning had a bit of a rougher time getting some hits together, but on Sunday, you know, had eight hits throughout the game. We're stringing them together, but just didn't finish all the way. The bullpen was a bright spot on Friday and on Sunday struggled a bit on Saturday. So, you know, it's just every day kind of one piece is struggling to catch up to the rest. And if you can put together a series where, you know, everything's gelling, keeping the balls low balls in the ballpark, um, I think the Georgia team can be dangerous. They certainly have the ability to hit. They have that sort of late inning magic. I think 
They've had six walk-off wins under Coach Strickland this year already and what, about halfway through the schedule. So they have that kind of the, the gumption. They have the, the taste for it. it, just putting the pieces together and staying competitive for all nine innings. That's going to be the key for this Bulldog team. What did you I see like on the, Sunday, Mike? Yeah, no, I like, I like that you recognize how important the intangibles are. A lot of people don't having the hunger, having the drive, having the right chemistry. I agree with you. I think that's a very healthy dugout and a very healthy locker room. And when you have that level of buy-in, which I think Scott Strickland has, it does make anything possible. Now it is a young team. They do have to click together. I mean, you, you saw those South Carolina guys come up to bat. They look like linebackers and tight ends, right? They look like grown men, juniors and seniors. And Georgia looked a little thin, a little wispy at times. Although I will say that South Carolina, that big 6'6", He's an Atlanta freshman. I don't know how he got out of this state, but boy, that guy could really bring it. He did a nice job scattering those hits. I want to ask you about Josh McAllister. You know, Josh has been on such a roll. The hamstring he's been out. I think they really need him. I think he's a glue guy in that lineup. I mean, he just automatic and money. The value remain of Josh McAllister. Josh McAllister is huge. Um, he, you know, came off, he aggravated a hamstring injury earlier in the season. That I think made him miss three or four games. He came back for the series. He played, you know, had a 17 game on base street that got snapped last Tuesday at Clemson came back on Friday. He peppered that third base line. He hit, you know, started the game. He got moved up to second in the lineup, getting him more at bats, getting him on base, trying to hit him home with the Tate and Collins um, behind him. But you know, moved him up. He hit a sharp double, went off the uh, third baseman's diving glove um, into foul territory, then hit a single, then hit another double all down that left field line. Great defensive player, made a diving stop early in the game on Friday at second base, diving up the middle, thrown across his body to get the third out and saved a two RBI single early in that Friday game, which may have been the difference there uh, defensively, just putting aside his hitting. He is huge for this team. Um, Great guy in interviews. You can really tell loves what he's doing, you know, really excited to be there. And I think the team needs him in that two hole needs him back on that lineup. And his status is day to day. He did not play the rest of the weekend. His status is day to day heading into um, the game tomorrow, which will be Georgia Southern at Foley field. And then what I wanted to get your opinion on Mike, big, big SEC series against top ranked Vanderbilt starting on Thursday. Well, you know what? It's not often that you say you just want to win one out of three, but you just want to win one out of three. I mean, Vanderbilt is so good in baseball. Uh, I would say that it almost makes up for how bad they are in football, but it doesn't. Nothing makes up for that. Nothing makes up for that no-show last year, that that stolen legacy that the Commodores left behind, uh, not playing Georgia. And some people say, oh, Mike, give him a break. I would have, except that they managed to find enough people to play Tennessee the very next week, and then they canceled again. And to me – that's just not cool, Ramin. I'm not good with that. Uh, I, I think I'm going to hold a little bit of a grudge, not because I dislike Vanderbilt and not because I'm a Georgia fan, but just because that's wrong for sports. That was the wrong lesson for that team. And we, we're not even going to get into some of the things that, that happened with the female kicker and how Vanderbilt uh, reportedly reacted to that, how their players. So for an institution of higher learning that we all, I believe, have great success for their, or, or excuse me, uh, we have great respect for their academics. I don't think we can help but be somewhat disappointed with how Vanderbilt athletics handled the end of last football season. Now, baseball is a different game. And of course, Georgia's traveling up there. Um, and, and the Vanderbilt baseball and the Georgia baseball players had nothing at all to do with it. 
but we are talking to a very broad ranged audience here at Dog Nation. Georgia fans follow all the sports. They'll be tuned in. They'll be hoping that Scott Strickland and, and the Bulldogs, the Diamond Dogs, can steal one on the road there in Nashville. Um, I would agree that, that Georgia needs everything to come together to do that. I think it's possible, though. They got one from a red-hot South Carolina team. I believe it won six in a row, including sweeping Florida. So I think it's possible. Um, I don't know if I'd go so strong as to say likely. But I, I'm going to stay tuned in, you know, Ramin. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, if they're just tuning in, I'm talking with Ramin Forgani. He is a senior uh, in the Grady School of Journalism. He covers baseball for Dog Nation. Uh, Ramin, I know you're going to be monitoring those games this weekend. You'll be running Thursday. You mentioned the Tuesday night game this week. Is that uh, was that Georgia Southern they're playing? I'm trying to. It's Georgia Southern hosting here in Athens at Foley Field. Um, Georgia Southern, who Georgia won the first game of this season, I believe five to two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you know, it's Georgia Southern team that's 13 and 13 overall, four and five in the Sun Belt, but they've played some opponents. They've played. They opened against Tennessee in a three-game set to start the season. Um, lost some close ones there. They have played um, Clemson, who Georgia just finished playing. They lost a close one six to four there recently. So, you know, I don't think it's a team that you can overlook. I don't think it's, it's a team that's going to roll over. Um, Georgia's going to have a nice tune-up game on Tuesday before that short turnaround heading to Vanderbilt on Thursday. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and it's, and it's a big opportunity for the Bulldogs. I mean, I can't thank you enough for joining me tonight on our Ingles on the beat segment, something a little different. Certainly you pay very, very close attention being a UGA student. Uh, you're very close with these athletic programs. Have you ever had a Georgia player in any of your classes or do you have any anecdotes you could tell us as a fellow student about a Georgia football player or, or maybe another athlete from the Georgia Ooh, campus? Not, um, we don't see many of them. Um, over to my science classes, but, um, early, early on one of the courses we do take for, uh, at the sports media program at Grady is uh, sports media and society. It's a topics class that covers, um, you know, how sports interacts with society and kind of some of the issues that, especially we see now in the limelight in sports. And there were, there were a lot of athletes there. Um, I don't, I've never interacted with one personally. So unfortunately I don't have a good story for you there, Jeff or Mike, I'm sorry, but, um, well, that's quite all right. Um, so Jeff is actually going to be Wednesday night uh, before the hedges. Connor's show will be tomorrow night. It's Connor and coverage. And of course, every day at 10 o'clock, everyone already knows this, but it's Brandon Adams and Dog Nation Daily. We try to keep things rolling along. I like to bring on special guests. I like to get educated perspectives. And I think Ramin Forgani has done exactly that for us. Some great analysis and some great points for me. I can't wait to get my hands on your next story Thursday night. You're going to be writing about Georgia and those, and they call them the Vandy boys. Is that right? Is that the nickname there? I think so. Yeah. Danzy Swanson coming from the Vandy boys. And they got some kind of whistling fan or something like that. Well, it'll be interesting to see how Georgia fares. Ramin, thanks so much for joining. And thanks everyone in the audience for joining us here Monday night on our Ingles on the beach show. I'll be back later this week. I'll have a lot more football coverage for you as well as other sports here on Doug Nation.